So Hanukkah is a very mysterious holiday. And, um, you know, the famous words in the, in the Gemara are my Hanukkah, meaning what is Hanukkah? And you, you, you know that um, these are the sages of the Gemara talking. They, they, they knew about the, the military victory, and they knew about the miracle of the life, and they knew about all of the ins and outs of the story. So if they're asking the question, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? It's not because they need the basic rundown of the story. It's because they know all the different elements and still, it's so elusive. So what is this elusiveness? What is this elusiveness of this day? And we have another element that we have to throw in because through divine providence it's been instituted that we should always read the story of Yosef. Yosef and his brothers during Hanukkah. So what's the connection with Yosef also in Miketz? We're always reading Miketz. So, so I saw something. We'll just, we'll just start with this, with the connection with Miketz. So usually, at the end of each portion of the week, they'll tell you how many Pesukim are, are, are in, that week's, uh, in that week's Torah portion. But Miketz is unique in that they tell you at the end, there's a little note, at the end of the, at the, end of the Parsha, how many words are there. Not Pesukim words. So already, you know, already they're breaking it up. They're breaking up Pesukim into words, which in and of itself is, is an amazing thing. You know, the smallest things at the darkest times are the most important. It's not enough just to see it on the level of whole sentences. Just the tiniest acts in the deepest darkness are not lost on Hashem. So there's 2,025 words in the Parsha. So this is a famous thing. And they say, okay, so we're always reading Miketz, this Parsha, during Hanukkah. Hanukkah is all about the light. And how do you say the light? The, the, the candle is Ner. So Ner is Nun and Resh, which is 250. So Ner is 250. And there are eight nights of Hanukkah. So eight times 250 is 2,000. Right? And what day is Hanukkah? The 25th of Kislev, right? So it's 2,000 plus 25 is 2,025. So the eight nights of Hanukkah, the eight lights of Hanukkah, correlate with this Parsha. And we're going to get more into that in a little bit. So, so I saw another, I saw another Torah from Rabbi Wolfson. He says, you know, if you take the word Hanukkah and you rearrange the letters, it spells out the word, it spells out Ches Kohen. So, that's an amazing thing. Ches means eight, and then the word Kohen. So, so, yeah, this is without a brother. You spell without it. So, okay, that's true. So, so what does it mean, Ches Kohen? So it means that every single person, every single person, wherever you are, wherever you're lighting, for those eight nights, you are a Kohen. And you are bringing the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash into your home. 
Okay. So there's more of a connection between this idea of Miketz and Hanukkah. So let's get into that a little bit. Miketz and Hanukkah. So what does Miketz mean? Miketz means the end. So in the context of the Parsha itself, it's talking about it's talking about the end of Yosef's time in prison. And you have to understand something. I heard it from Reb Shlomo. Maybe you remember which Rebbe said it. I think it was maybe one of the Ishbitzer Rebbe's, but maybe you can correct me. <laughs> which is that Yosef, in his tremendous, in his tremendous bitachon, in his, in his tremendous attachment in, of faith to Kodesh Baruch Hu, to Hashem, he was in prison. He never prayed to get out of prison. Because he figured, listen, God is running the world. God knows what he's doing. If he has me in prison, that's where I'm supposed to be. But it happened to be on Rosh Hashanah of that year that something came to him. A voice came to him which said, is this all I'm supposed to be? Is this all I'm supposed to do with all of the gifts that I've been given in the world? To remain in prison my entire life? How could it be? So the first time he prays, and that day that he prays is the day all of a sudden that the butler is saying to Paro, you know something, there's someone, there's someone in prison who can interpret your dream. Now he's been holding on to that secret for two years. And the moment that Yosef prays is the moment that the, that the, that the person next to Paro says, you know, there's someone. So his prayer is absolutely answered immediately. And I love this detail of this story. You can imagine, you're, you're the lowest place in the world, in the entire world was Egypt, and he's in a prison in Egypt. So he's in the lowest place of the lowest place in the entire world. And all of a sudden, in one second, in the blink of an eye, he's being brought up to see, you know, the, mortally speaking, uh, the king of the world. And what does he say? And this is the moment that I just... I mean, you just see the, the slightest taste of the greatness of Yosef here. Who the true king is in this situation? He says to the people who are ushering up to see the king, he says, wait a second. I need a haircut. <laughs> I'm going to change my clothes. Can you imagine the presence of mind? Not intimidated knows that it's coming from Hashem, knows where the real power is. You know, I always try to make these classes as practical as possible. And I just want to tell you one technique that I've used, spiritually speaking, that, you know, if you're ever in the presence of someone who scares the daylights out of you, (laughs) it happens. You know, bosses especially, you know. I imagine a ring around that person, like a hula hoop, like suspended by their waist, you know, like waist high, a ring around them, and I say, you know, their influence goes that far and no further. (laughs) Because the truth is, is that everything is coming from Hashem. Hashem is the only power, right? So you see how, you know, you you don't keep power waiting, especially when this is your big chance, you know? 
And if you do keep him waiting, it gives you insight into the fact that he knew where the real power was coming from. So that he had that level of presence of mind at that moment, you know? See, the big test for all of us, the big test for all of us is, you know, not, not how good your game is when you've got your game on, right? It's how good your game is when you don't have your game on, right? It's like when you're knocked from your seder, you've got your normal order, and it's sort of like, this is okay, I got it. What happens when someone throws the order from you? Let's say you miss your chabrusa in the morning, your learning partner in the morning. Do you end up learning that day for the same amount of time with the same amount of intensity? Right? Because those are the times when Hashem really is looking to see how attached you are. How deep, how much it's penetrated you, all these teachings. Is it on the level that you can't live without it? Or is it just an external routine? Yosef is the gematria of Melech Yavin. That means king of Greece. Right? What's Greece? Greece is the outside power. Superficiality, externality, glimmering surfaces, the siren call. And Yosef, Yosef is the counterbalance. Because Yosef is for real. Because it's penetrated Yosef 1,000%. So what about this correlation with Mikates and Hanukkah? So we have to understand something. So Mikates means, right, the end. So let's get a little bit more into that. What does that mean, the end? So you have to understand something, which is that, historically speaking, Hanukkah is the last holiday. It's the end, historically speaking, of all of the holidays that we have right now. The last one to occur. That means that the light of the miracle of the menorah, Hashem made it so that it would shine throughout the entire exile. You know? So to speak, do you ever hear the expression, I'll leave the light on? Right? You're going out late, you're going out, I'll leave the light on. So Hashem left the light on to burn throughout the entire exile so that we could look and we could see, ah, yeah, yeah, someone's home. So-and-so. But it's more than that. It's more than just the simple idea that it's, historically speaking, the last, the, last, uh, the last holiday. It means... It means that all of this darkness is going to come to an end. There's going to be an end to the darkness. You have a spiritual rule, which is that the Shekhinah, God's holy presence, and you have to understand this is all metaphorical, because Hashem's presence fills the entire world. And that He goes into exile with us, wherever we are. You know, the incredible story of the Rishon Rebbe, that the Rishon Rebbe was going into this, this dungeon, this Tsarist dungeon, and that His biggest, His biggest pain was not that he was going into this horrible, disgusting, low place, but that he was pulling Hashem Shechina, Hashem's holy presence into this place. 
So we have this notion that the Shekhinah doesn't descend the last ten Tfachim, which is uh, ten hands breaths in this world. And we also have another rule, which means that there, while before Mashiach comes, that there's a level of concealment in the world. That's what that means, that the Shekhinah isn't descending all the way down. That there's still this level of the concealment of Hashem's presence in this world. The Hanukkah menorah has to be lit within those ten fachim. Like the official way of doing it is to put it on the bottom, to put it on the floor, opposite the menorah, right? So it doesn't even have the the, slus, the merit of the menorah. It's on the opposite side, and it's... Uh, the, I'm sorry, opposite the mezuzah? It's not even on the side of the mezuzah, it's on the opposite side of the mezuzah, and it's all the way down on the ground. In other words, if you want to get symbolic, you can't get lower than that. That's the, lo- that's the lowest you can go. That's the lowest you can go. But that's the light of Hanukkah. You know, I was just talking with Rabbi Smiles in, 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 in Israel, who periodically reminds me that L.A. is the lowest place in the entire world. <laughs> he says, you're in the perfect place to celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> and then I knew what was coming next. You know, I was already ahead of him. <laughs> it starts off like a compliment, you know, but uh, I knew where he was going. So, so yeah, let me just finish the story. So, you see, why, why, by the way, is L.A. the lowest place in the world, according to this? And the truth is, is that there's a very good case to be made for, unfortunately. It's because, you know what's worse? And again, this is getting practical again, so... Reb Chaim Vital says like this, that much worse than in Avera, much worse than a mistake a person makes, um, breaking some sort of uh, mitzvah, right? Napping up to it in the moment much worse than that is a bad character trait a bad meter because if a person has a bad character trait then that's a fountain of mistakes Just a, so a person has to rectify their personality they have to rectify their, their, their meters okay so what's Hollywood doing when it's, when it's not doing its job you know it's teaching bad character traits that's the problem And those bad character traits then become fountains of mistakes. Yeah, what did you want to say? Um, I'm wondering, are you saying that we should put our menorah on, actually on the floor? Because what does that do? Right, so, so the idea is, that's one place that you can light. Right now, we mostly light, the minute pretty much is to light uh, on a table like looking out the window. Right. But, but technically speaking, one of the main places of lighting is on the floor, in a, in a doorway, opposite the mezuzah. And the idea is that the light, the revelation of God's presence in this world, is, is, is going to the deepest, lowest place. It's lighting up even the darkest place. So that's, that's the idea there. Now, you have a very interesting pasuk. The Sfasemis brings down from... Uh, from uh, the song that we sang when we crossed when we crossed the, the sea. Okay? Now listen to this. See if you can keep score, okay? Keep 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 the human anatomy in mind and listen to the following Pusik. 
Your right hand, Hashem, is adorned with strength. Your right hand, Hashem, smashes the enemy. Anything strange about that? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Anything strange about that, Pusik? Two right hands. What happened to the left hand? <laughs> you ever hear of someone who's all thumbs? <laughs> okay, Mahabhya. This is something else. Your right hand, Hashem, is adorned with strength. Your right hand, Hashem, smashes the enemies. There, there should be a right hand and a left hand. But we're talking about two right hands. So the Sathema says that when you do Hashem's will, the left hand, which stands for judgment, is turned into a right hand, which then becomes your advocate. So all of a sudden you have two right hands. In other words, there's no, there's no level of, of judgment from Hashem. He's all, all advocate, so to speak. So the idea of putting it on the, the left side, the left side opposite the menorah, is you're transforming the left side into the right side. So you have two right sides now. It's not a right side and a left side. It's two right sides. You've transformed it by shining the greatest light in the deepest darkness. Okay. Another way to say that is the light of Hanukkah and polarity. No longer polarity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the revelation of the Or Haganus, the hidden light, which shows you that there is no other side. That it's all one. That it's all one. Okay, so now, now I want to get maybe a little deeper. And, you know, really, as far as I'm concerned, one of, one of the greatest Jewish heroes that there is, let me make sure I'm saying his name right, is, it, it's Yosef. We have another Yosef in the Hanukkah story. People don't talk about him so much, as much as they should. Yosef Meshisha, or Mesisa, however you say. So he was a very great person. So who was he? So, now, before I tell you the story of this, you have to know the difference between the Romans and the Greeks. See, Greece is all about Tuma. Spiritual impurity. Spiritual, not just, you know, I've, I always I didn't hear it right until I heard Rabbi Graydon say it this year. I always heard it spiritual impurity. It's not spiritual impurity. It's spiritual destruction. It's that it's that it's that everything that we're saying is wrong. That's what they're that's what they're trying to bring about. To destroy it, to to to, to wipe it out. But how do they wipe it out? They wipe it out by, by poisoning it. Rome is Corbin. Rome is physical destruction. See, there's a difference. But interestingly, an aspect of Rome is that they co-opted all the ideology of Greece. So after they totally sullied or tried to eradicate or poison is toxicify a word? To make to make to make it toxic. Then they knock it down. Alright? It being what? 
Torah, Torah and, and, and Emes and truth. So, okay. So now we have this combination of Greece and Rome together right now. Okay? Now listen to the story of, of Yosef Meshisa. So he wasn't such a great person in the beginning of this story. You know? He was known to be like a very low guy, like a, like a traitor to the Jewish people, basically. Okay? The Medrash Rabbah talks about him, tells this story. So the Romans have finished the destruction of the gates of Jerusalem and basically the the Chorban, the destruction of the base of Migdash is upon us, right? Of the Holy Temple. They're standing in the front of the base of Migdash but they're afraid to go in. Because it's sort of like this is the headquarters of God's presence on earth. By the way, by the way, you should know, Reb Chaim Velozhin says they destroyed something that was already destroyed. You think they destroyed something? God's presence had already left it a long time ago. It was an empty shell. They didn't destroy anything. It was already destroyed. But they didn't know that. And they had tremendous fear. They're standing in front of the base of Mikdash. They don't want to go into this building. Because who knows what's going to happen to them. So they have an idea. You know what? If a Jew goes in first, and if a Jew desecrates it, that's good for us. Then we don't have to be afraid. So who would volunteer for a job like that? You know? Right? That's so... So he does. And they make it nice for him. They say, you know what? Go in and whatever you take, you can keep. Okay. So, so he goes in. And what does he come out with? I mean, it's really, you know, there's almost a comic side to it. Because he is, after all, a Jewish guy, right? So what's he going to take out? He takes out the menorah, this giant piece of gold, you know? This huge, huge piece of gold. He's coming out with that. And they see that he's taken out clearly. Like, they, they know it's great inside there, but they can't imagine that there's anything better than that in there. So they say, you can't take that out. That no. No, you can't keep that. So they say... They say, go back in there and take something else. Now, this is where the story, like... I mean, it wasn't a funny story to begin with, but here's where it really gets, like, sublime, you know? So he says, I can't go back in there. So they say... Hey, Ruthie, leave it open, okay? Yeah. They say, thank you. They say... No, no, no. You better go back in there. And he goes, No, 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 no. I've already angered my God once. I can't go back in there. And they say, You better go back in there. He says, I'm not going to go back in there. So what did they do? They put him into a carpenter's vice and they sawed him in half. And he died 
he died doing the most amazing, amazing, amazing tshuva in the entire world. You know, I was thinking about this last night during the concert, and I remembered a story that I heard from Reb Shlomo. There was a Rebbe in the concentration camp, and uh, and there was a he was conducting a seder, and there were two students there of his at the table, and I guess this is after hours, and you know even just sitting at that table. I'm sure they were risking their life. And they're saying over the Haggadah. And there's a pole in one of the barracks. And this pole is a big anti-Semite. And he's yelling at them during the Haggadah. You know, shut up, you dirty Jews. It's so disgusting. You are all so disgusting. Why don't you just stop? Just stop it already. And they're still going with the Haggadah. And he's yelling insults at them. And then something happens to him and he breaks down. He goes, I can't believe it. You're about to die, but you don't care. You just won't stop. You just won't stop. And the next thing that happens is he finds himself at the, at the Seder table. And now it's time to open up the door to let in Eliyahu. And the Rebbe says to one of his students, go ahead, open up the door. He says, Rebbe, we're going to get shot by the Nazis. What do you, I'm not going to do it. And the other student says, I'm not going to do it. So the Rebbe says, okay, I'm going to do it. And that Pole who was hurling anti-Semitic, hate-filled invective says to the Rebbe, can I go with you? to open up the door for Eliyahu. And he says, yes. And they walk to the door, and they open up the door, and they're shot and killed on the spot by the Nazis. And Reb Shlomo said, can you imagine that pole? That pole ascended to heaven with the Rebbe. That in, in moments, in moments he went from the lowest place in the entire world to like the highest, highest, highest place. And I just got it into my head during your concert last night. I was davening that after 120 I should meet that pole. Kabbalistically speaking, when we talk about how God created the world, so we say like this, that the Or in Sof, right, which is light without end, it's a holy name of God, so light filled the entire universe, and then Hashem vacated a space he made like an empty space within himself and then he shone a light into the space and Kaylee shattered right and the light condensed and became a physical reality and that's this world so that contains like the biggest joke in the world did you hear the joke that I just told you in the middle of this I said God filled the entire world and then he created a space that he didn't exist in? You should have all been jumping out of your chair. Wait a second. <laughs> a vacated space? There's no vacated space. There's no vacated space. The empty space is filled with God. This is Hanukkah. 
The darkness is filled with light. And like Yadidya was saying yesterday, it's not, it's not that at nighttime we light so that it should be like daylight during night, at nighttime. It's not like daytime during nighttime. This is beyond day-night. This is the Or HaGanus. This is the original great light that was created that's coming down. It supersedes all that light. So they say if you feel distant from God, who moved? God didn't move. Who moved? If you feel distant, ask yourself that question. You realize that I moved. The way I like to think about it is the phone is always ringing. God is constantly contacting us. Sometimes we don't hear the ringing of it. But once we remember, all we have to do is pick up the phone. We don't have to dial. Not only is God going to call us, He's calling us right now. You just have to pick up the ringing phone. And then there's a lot that you can say. And if you begin with, I'm sorry, (laughs) that's not a terrible thing. If you begin with, thank you, followed by, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, what are we apologizing for? You know, I forgot for a moment that you were there. I forgot for a moment that you were there. I forgot how connected I was for the briefest moment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So, there's something incredibly intimate about Hanukkah. We do it in our homes. You know, we turn our homes into the base of Migdash. It's not... It's not something that's done in shul. We, we do like the menorah in shul. But it's supposed to be ishu beso, each, uh, a man inside, a, you know, a family inside their home. That's already intimate. But listen to this now. Something kind of remarkable and like uh, special, which is that how many people actually saw the miracle of the light? You know, God made basically the mitzvah the mitzvah of Hanukkah or the miracle of Hanukkah was really relatively speaking a private miracle you know that's God whispering to you that's God whispering to you in the darkness because how many people saw it very very few tiny number of people saw it so when you're at your end when you're at your end you know You know, I'll tell you something. It's a great thing to do. You know, my wife just had her 40th birthday. Thank you. Amen. And, um, you know, she, she does something which I love, which is that anytime a kid is born or there's like a birthday party or something like that, she invites the President of the United States. Have I told you about this already? Yeah. So, is this true? <laughs> well, we have well, all of them. In fact, Judy also invited the Queen of England to our wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, we're still waiting for the answer. You know, for a very polite lady, it's 13 years already. I'm thinking she's not going to be able to make it. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. The President of the United States, the White House, responds to all birth announcements and birthday invitations. It's great. And you get a letter... You get a letter in the mail addressed to you from the White House. Signed, okay, I'm sure it's a machine, but signed by the President of the United States. And, you know, so that's a little bit of Hanukkah also, you know, which is that you know, you know that the President, he's got a lot of subjects, right? But when you get a letter addressed to you from the President of the United States, it's a personal thing. When you're in your own home, at your own address, and you're, you're participating in a miracle that only a few people saw that was personalized, God made it to be extremely personal. Because what's the most personal time in a person's life? When they're, they're in the middle of the darkness and they think there's no light. That's why it's got to be personally addressed. So I want to tell you something. I'm going to talk about Shabbos for one moment, and then it's really an introduction to a Hanukkah thought. Okay? So I begin with the 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 Hanukkah part. So one of the things that that men say, hopefully we're saying, you put on the arm to fill it. And then you're putting on the uh, head to fill him, and uh, you say you say like this: From your wisdom, O Supreme God, may you imbue me. From your understanding, give me understanding. With your kindness, do greatly with me. With your power, cut down my foes and rebels. Now listen to this part. Remember, you've just put you've just put the the head to fill him on. Okay. May you pour goodly oil upon the seven arms of the menorah to cause your good to flow to your creatures. Right? And then may you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. May you pour goodly oil upon the seven arms of the menorah to cause your good to flow to your creatures. Uh, on Shabbos, what do we do? You know, according to the Rambam, when we make Havdalah, that's already part of Kavit Shabbos. In other words, that's a way of honoring Shabbos. So it's part of Shabbos, is Havdalah, even though you're ending Shabbos. And remember the amazing thing about Shabbos is, Shabbos is a little taste of Gan Eden. Remember when we left Gan Eden, there were angels, fiery angels, blocking our way into getting in. So... So Gan Eden is, so to speak, surrounded by fire. Or guarded by fire. Shabbos, which is a taste of Gan Eden, it's got fire at the beginning, and it's got fire at the end. So it's also a day that's, that's surrounded by fire, because it's like Gan Eden. So what do we do? We take the Havdalah candle, which is still part of Shabbos, right? It's still part of Kavit Shabbos. And then we take the wine 
Actually, I'm sorry. So it's the outermost part of Shabbos, really. You know, it's, it's, it's already the, the, the week. It's already the week. And we're taking the wine and we're pouring, we're dousing, we're dousing the fire of the candle with the Shabbos wine. Okay? And then we're taking, we're taking, we're taking that mixture, the Shabbos wine, which is put out the weekday fire, and we're putting it in our eyes, we're putting it in our ears, we're putting it in our mouth. Putting it in our pockets. Right? One of my favorite words from my son, Moshe said, when he was like, I don't know, five maybe, says, why are we putting the Shabbos wine in our pockets? So that we can carry Shabbos with us all week. So, so we're taking this mixture. What is this mixture? This is the mixture of Shabbos. Shabbos is put out, has overcome, has triumphed over the week. And we're taking this mixture and we're saying, God, let me see the world with Shabbos eyes. Let me hear everything with Shabbos ears and taste the world with the taste of Shabbos. So what are we saying over here now? We're putting on the head to fill in, may you pour your goodly oil upon the seven arms of the menorah to cause your good to flow to your creatures. So Rabbi Nachman explains what the seven arms of the menorah are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that, so that the, the hashba, the, 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 the spiritual flow from the tefillin should come down and it should enter into the seven branches of our menorah, right? And that we should be able to see the light in all the darkness. So we've got just a little, uh, a little PS over here. So, so when Yosef Meshisha took out the, the, the menorah, so the idea is like this, that, you know, why the menorah? He, in other words, he, he takes out the menorah, the most precious thing there, just giant block of gold, essentially. He brings it out, and then they say, go back in. And he says, you know, I already angered my dad. I don't want to go back in. I don't want to do it. But did the, did, the, did, the, did the menorah itself have any role to play in this? In other words, it's interesting that he had this transformational moment and it was after he came into contact with the menorah. So what's the whole menorah about? So, so here you have something interesting, uh, which is when we make the blessing over the Hanukkah candles, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melcholam Asher Kitchanu Mitzosef Etzimanu Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah. Now some people say Shel Hanukkah, but the Nusach Ari is not to say the word Shel. So if you just say Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah, what happens? The first letter of the last three words are. Lamed, Nun, and Ches. And it spells out the word Nachal. Nun, Ches, Lamed. Nachal. 
which means river. What does a river do? A river flows. So the whole menorah is about the divine flow that's coming from above and flowing down below that you're connected even when you think you're not connected that you're constantly in the presence of the divine flow. And so, you know, Rav Shlomo says that people who have rejected Torah they haven't rejected Torah because they don't believe in Torah it's because they've never been touched mm-hmm. you know and if they say they don't believe don't believe them because they just haven't been touched so once they're touched then then they connect so when he gets in touch with the menorah then he gets in touch with this divine flow and once that happens then he can't go back in. He can't go back in. You know? is, that, is that the same flow as the flow? Yes. Is that the same flow as the flow you were talking about over here? Yes. 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 This is the same flow that's coming down when when we talk about the seven arms and the, of the menorah. Yeah, and it's flow.